Hello, and welcome to Infinite Cast. The pod just. We're back. We're back. Back in the New York groove. We're back. Thanks for uh, dealing with uh, our travels and our varying audio quality, audio but quality. hey, we're here. We're here. Um, do you have anything that you want to say before we get started? Uh, the only thing I want to bring up from pop culture is that I saw someone's tweet uh, a humorous tweet where they, you know, were being descending, descending into the pit of hell or something, and they're like, "Infinite Jest is young adult fiction." <laughs> and I have to say, I agree. It's not the worst Infinite Jest uh, take I've seen. No. Um, somebody, one other person sent me their um, their suggestions for the three part division names for the three part division mm-hmm. of Infinite uh, Jest, uh, and their suggestion was part one game, part two set, part two. Part three match. So good. That's a very good one. It's hard to, hard to top that one, I would say. Yeah, that's good. Uh, all right. We got the tennis let's going. Get, we got some get coffee. Let's we get We got into our it. coffee. We got our tennis. Don't talk to me before I've had my I'm tennis. Don't talk to me. <laughs> all right. Let's Don't go. talk to me before I've had my tennis. Okay, let's do it. 14th November, year of the dependent adult undergarment, the day that will not end. Uh, that's uh, that's yes. editorializing. After so long not caring, and then now the caring crashes back in and turns so easily into obsessive worry in sobriety. A few days before the debacle in which Don Gately got hurt, Joelle had begun to hey, worry. Don Gately. Don uh, had begun to worry obsessively about her teeth. Smoking base cocaine eats teeth, corrodes teeth, attacks the enamel directly. Chandler Foss had explained all this to her at supper, showing her his corroded stumps. In her Latin cloth purse now, she carried a traveler's brush, an expensive toothpaste with alleged enamel revitalizers and anti-corrosives. Several of the Ennett House residents who'd hit bottom with the glass pipe had no teeth or blackened and disintegrating teeth. The sight of Wade McDade's or Chandler Foss's teeth gave Joelle the fantods like nothing at meetings could. The toothpaste was only recently available over the counter. It was a whole level of power and expense above standard smoker's polish. As she lies on her side beside Kate Gompert's empty bunk, her veils selvage tucked secure between pillow and jaw, and Charlotte Treat also asleep across the lit room, Joelle dreams that Don Gately, unhurt and mid-South accented, is ministering to her teeth. He is bibbed in dental white, humming softly to himself, his big hands deft as he plucks instruments from the gleaming chair-side tray. Her chair is dental and canted back, yielding her face up to him, her legs shut tight and stretching up and out before her. Dr. Don's eyes are abstractly kind, concerned for her teeth, and his thick fingers, as he inserts things to hold her open, are gloveless and taste warm and clean. Even the light seems sterilely clean. There is no assistant. The dentist is solo, leaning in above her, humming absent chords as he probes. His head is massive and vaguely square. In the dream, she is concerned for her teeth and feels Gately shares her concern. She feels good that he makes no chit-chat and probably doesn't know her name. There's very little eye contact. He is completely intent on her teeth. He is there to help if possible, is his whole demeanor's message. His bib hangs by a necklace of tiny steel balls and could not be whiter. His head haloed with a strap and a polished metal disc attached to the strap just above his eyes. A tiny mirror of stainless steel, clean as the instrument's tray. And the dream's yielding and trustful quality of calm is undercut only by the view of her face in the halo's mirror, 
the disc like a third eye in Gately's broad, clean forehead because she can see her face, convexly distorted and ravaged by years of cocaine and not caring. Her, eye, her face all bug eyes and sunken cheeks, lamp black smudges beneath the pop eyes. And as the dentist's warm, thick fingers gently draw her lips back, she looks up into his head's mirror at long rows of all canine teeth, tapered and sharp, with then more rows of canines behind them in reserve. The countless rows of teeth are all sharp and strong and unblackened, but tinged at the tips with an odd kind of red, as of old blood, the teeth of a creature that carelessly tears at meat. These are teeth that have been up to things she hasn't known about, she tries to say around the fingers. The dentist hums, probing. In the dream, Joelle looks up into Don Gately's forehead's dental mirror's disc and is seized with a fear of her teeth, a terror. And as her spread mouth spreads farther to cry out in fear, all she can see in the little round mirror are endless red-stained rows of teeth leading back and away down a pitch-black pipe. And the image of all these rows of teeth in the disc blots out the big dentist's good face as he probes with a hook and says he assures her that these can be saved. You ever have a teeth dream? All the time. Yep, same. That's one of the few that I do have. Uh, they, they're either loose or they loose, are loose teeth. Bre- breaking. And then I'm... Uh, Why you know. is that? Everybody has teeth dreams. What, are, what is it about teeth that, that invade our subconscious after I'd have to go on dreammoods.com. One of the... I feel like there's a paucity of dream interpretation websites. It's basically dream moods, and I have to say it seems like bullshit. <laughs> I guess. I need a real dream diviner. And yes, I need a, a dream expert. I need a dream expert to give me yeah. the, 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 the uh, lowdown. I guess that's just a Freudian therapist. Yeah. Then, by the time Fortier was able to return to the dismantled shop, they had located a third cartridge emblazed with the embossed smile and letters disclaiming need of happy pursuit, and after some regretful losses, they had secured and verified it, the Samizdat cartridge of entertainment burglared from the death of Duplessis. Okay, so du- Duplessis getting accidentally murdered by Don did result in and, yes. the dissemination of this thing. Or at least one copy, yeah, One copy. Say. We'll see in the next sentence if it's the master or not. Fortier was told the story. The cell's young Desjardins had been taking his turn in the viewing rotation, seated with young Tassigny in the room of storage during the hours of early morning, sampling the dregs of unshelved entertainments found in kitchen can waste bags in the same closet the Antitoise cadavers were swelling within. Desjardins had just moments before complained of the wasted time of cartridge ske- cartridges scheduled for the coffre d'amas. Tassigny, who had been in the room of storage with Desjardins, then was saved by the need to leave this room to change the bag of his partial colostomy. (laughs) But, Morath reported, they had lost Desjardins and the older and valued Joubet also, who rolled against orders into the room of storage to see why Desjardins had not been sending out the tapes for more tapes to sample. Both were lost. They had not lost more only because someone had thought to wake up Prime who Fortier had briefed with care on procedures for if the actual entertainment was found by this viewing. But two were lost. Joubet, the red-bearded workhorse who loved to pop wheelies, (laughs) and young Desjardins, so filled with the idealism and so young as to be still feeling the phantom pains in his stumps. Remy Morath reported that the two had been made comfortable since their loss, allowed to remain in the locked room of storage and view the entertainment again and again, silent behind the door, except when the watch detail reported the hearing of cries of impatience at the player's rewinder to rewind. Morath reported they had declined to come out for water or food, or Joubet, who was diabetique for his insulin. 
M. Pruyim estimated that it would be a matter of hours now for Joubet, perhaps maybe one day or two days for Desjardins. Fortier had sadly said, boof, and acceptingly shrugged. All knew the sacrifices that might have been required. All viewing details had taken their chances at random in the rotation of viewing. On Fortier's return, Morath delivered also the expected bad news of the finding of it. There was no need yet for high RPM hardware of duplication. The found copy was read-only. Ah. Which takes us to EndNote 303. Though hope springs eternal in the breasts, this nude had, <laughs> news has been expected by Pruyim and Fortier the moment they witnessed the shop's brothers active and alert, for they believed no master cartridge would have lain unshelved in a bag or damp box. Even the dim brothers' antitois, seeing the unique case and slightly larger size of a master, would have put this to the special side and arranged for the special 585 RPM hardware to view it to check for special value and been already lost. Okay. Back to the text. Philosophical, Fortier reminded the AFR that they did now encouragingly know the entertainment of such power did truly exist for themselves and could thus gird their courage and fortitude for the more indirect task of forfeiting hopes of securing a master copy and instead striving to secure the original master, the auteur's own cartridge, from which all read-only copies had presumably been copied. This does take a rather generous... Um idea of the duplicity of media you mm. know what, what do you mean like that like that 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 I, is, I, you that know what is copyable saying? yeah that that uh, that things are certain things are uncopyable mm. you know well yeah that's like it's like drm in a way right yeah exactly um but you that know. i can't just grab like a kindle edition of like rand like i can't just like i mean i guess i could but it would have to be pirated yeah. piracy it's it's kind of like a pre-piracy bless yes. you but I guess this is the time when people are saying taping is killing music. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Ew, thus, he said, uh, now the more arduous and risky task of taking for technical interview known persons associated with the entertainment and locating the original maker's duplicable master copy. None of this would have been worthy of the risk had they not now determined through the heroic sacrifices of Joubet and Desjardins that the device for extending Onan's self-destructing logic to its final conclusion lay within their arduous grasp. Fortier gave numerous orders. The platoon of AFR remained in the closed antitois entertainment shop behind their lingual window shade. Surveillance on the hated FLQ's Bureau Central in the poorly disciplined house on Alston's Rue de Brainerd. <laughs> Sorry. This was suspended. The AFR personnel pulled in and relocated to this commandeered Inman Square shop, where Fortier and Morath and M. Pruyim coordinated phases of activity in this next more arduous and indirect phase and reviewed tactics also. The deceased auteur's colleagues and relations were under consistent surveillance. Their concentration of place worked in the favor of this. An employee at the Academy of Tennis of Enfield had been recruited and joined the Canadian instructor, instructor and student already inside for closer work of surveillance. Ah, wow, they have turned. There's a staffer and a student. Who do you think the student could be? Uh, do you know? Oh, yeah, of course you well, know. Well, how, how many Canadian, na name a Canadian student at ETA. I don't remember. Is it John N.R. Wayne? Mm. And was it wasn't there something suspicious in the t one of the Potrincourt? Yes, the Thierry Potrincourt, the teacher of the yes. very uh, separatism that uh, she is perhaps uh, indeed a proponent in. of. Yes, well, that's okay. not very good cover then. <laughs> well, oh, it's the best cover. <laughs> she hides in plain sight. Uh, all right. 
It's all coming together. Oh, um, in the desert, capitalized desert, the redoubtable Mademoiselle Luria P was winning necessary confidences with her usual alacrity. Who do you think that could be? Uh, the, uh, the Swiss hand model oh, that yes, Warren's yes, yes. been stopping. An expensive source in the subject's former department of the MIT University had reported the entertainment's probable performer's last known employment, the small Cambridge radio station which Morath and Beausoleil had pronounced we, where she, <laughs> W-Y-Y-Y, oh, yeah. where she had donned the defacing veil of Onanite deformity. Attentions were to be focused on the cartridge's performer and on the Academy of Tennis of the Otor's estate. The fact that the players of the Academy were to play a provincially selected team from Quebec would have been easier to exploit had the AFR possessed a tennis player of talent and lower extremities. <laughs> Inquiries into the composition and travel of the Quebecois team were underway from sources at home in Papineau. On the day of Fortier's return also... The performer's radio program's technical engineer of radio had been acquired in a public but low-risk operation whose success had raised hopeful spirits for the acquisitions of more directly related persons to the entertainment in this next phase. Do you remember this? No. The, guy, the radio engineer was sunning himself watching the duck pond. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And they literally like, like rode down on like a sled and scooped him up right into yeah, a truck. and like a cow catcher. It's okay that you don't remember these things. That was uh, uh, at least three months ago. Yeah. This person of USA Radio had divulged all he professed to know under the mere descript descriptive threat of technical interview procedures. Morath, the best lay judge of Americans' veracity, which the cell possessed, believed the veracity of the engineer, but nevertheless, a formal technical interview had proceeded, justified in order to verify. The young and eruption-studded person's report remained consistent two levels past U average USA endurance, the only variance involving several curious claims that the Massachusetts Institute of Technology was defensive in bed. <laughs> <laughs> Today, Fortier himself, Anne Morath, young Baubalis, R. Osioweek, all those with the better English, were now thus therefore making the rounds of all substance difficulty rehabilitations facilities in hospitals, psychiatric institutions, and demi-maison within a 25-kilometer... <laughs> Halfway house, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Within a 25-kilometer radius. Procedures for expanding the radius of inquiry by factors of two and three had been pre-formulated, teams assembled, lines rehearsed. Jubay and then Desjardins had succumbed and been transported north by van as well with the remains of the Antitois' remains. The USA student radio engineering person, the veracity of whose limited statements of the subject's whereabouts Bruyim had verified to within plus or minus 0.35 of assurance, well before debriefing levels incompatible with physical existence, <laughs> had been allowed several hours to recover then had become of service as the AFR's first subject in field tests of the Samiz Dots cartridge's oh, motivational range. The room of storage again was utilized for this. His head immobilized with some straps, the test subject had viewed the entertainment twice at gratis without the application of any motivational inquiry. For inquiry into the degree of motivation the cartridge will induce, M. Bruyim had rolled himself blindfolded into the room of storage, holding an orthopedic saw and informed the subject of the test that, as a beginning now, each subsequent reviewing of the entertainment now would have the price of one digit from the subject's extremities, and handed the subject the orthopedic saw in question also. 
Bream's explanation to Fortier was that thus a matrix could be created to compute the statistical relation between N, the number of times the subject replayed the entertainment, and T, the amount of time he took to decide and remove a digit for each subsequent N plus one viewing. The goal was to confirm with statistical assurance the subject's desire for viewing and reviewing as incapable of satiation. There could be no index of diminishing satisfaction, as in the econometrics of normal USA commodities. For the Samizdat Entertainment's allure to be macro-politically lethal, the ninth digit of extremities had to come off as quickly and willingly as the second. Prim, personally, he had some skepticism about this. But this was Prim's function in his role in the cell. Expertise in combination with skepticism de coeur. <laughs> and then naturally also a wider range of... Coeur. Yeah, not bad. Did you do the, tr- the trick where you put your... Uh, <laughs> yes. Okay. Nice. I'm working on it. And then naturally also a wider range of field test subjects would then be required to verify that this subject's responses were not merely subjective and typical only of a certain sensibility of entertainment consumer. The bus window yielded a faint and ghostly reflection of Fortier and through that faint view, the lights of urban life outside the bus. Somerville, Massachusetts, USA's Phoenix House administrative person had listened to Fortier's delivery with shows of great compassion, then explained with patience that they were unable to admit addicted persons for whom English was the secondary language. D'accord, though he was pretending disappointment. Fortier had been able to see the admitted addicts of Phoenix House holding a gathering in the room of living outside the office door. No person among them wore a veil of facial concealment, and so, c'est ça. Four small teams were at this moment rolling through the streets and small streets and alleys of the unpleasant district of the Antitois establishment for the purpose of acquiring additional subjects for M. Pruyim for the time when the subject's digits were expended. The subjects for suitability had to be passively undefended enough to be acquired publicly with quiet, yet not damaged in the brains or under the influence of the many of the district's intoxicant compounds. The AFR were highly trained in patience and to be disciplined. You know what this is? This is like when um, in the in Venom when they uh, are oh, testing yeah, the Venom on the, just like street people. Yeah, exactly. Plus a change. The, uh, <laughs> uh, the southbound bus, empty and, which he detested, fluorescently lit, climbs a thin hill off Winter Park, North Cambridge, heading for the squares Inman and Central. Fortier looks out at the lights passing. He can smell snow coming. It soon will snow. He sees in his imagination <laughs> two-thirds of NNE's largest urban city, inert, sybaritically entranced, staring, without bodily movement, homebounded, fouling their divans and the chairs which may recline. He sees the district of businesses' towers of buildings and luxury apartments, striated as two of every three floors is darkened to lightless black, with here and there the vaguely blue flicker of expensive digital entertainment equipment flickering through darkened windows. He imagines M. Tyne holding the hand, holding the pen of President J. Gentle as the Onanite president signs declaring war. He imagines teacups clinking thinly beneath trembling hands in the interior sanctums of Ottawa's sanctum of power. (laughs) He adjusts his sport coat's lapel over his sweater and smooths the wiry hair that tends to bulge unsmoothly around the bare spot. He watches the back of the bus's driver's neck as the driver stares straight ahead. What, one more little, like, one-page segment. Okay, yeah. I mean, we're, that this would be a, a very short one. We could go a little longer. Okay, then, yeah, let's let's rock. Yeah. Sure enough, the chinquette women had been strengthless <laughs> and lightweight, flew aside like dolls, and their bags were indeed treasure-heavy, hard to heft. 
But as Lenz cut left down the north-south alley, he could hold the bags by their twine handles out slightly before him, so their weight's momentum kind of pulled him along. The cruciform alleys through the blocks between Central and Inman and Little Lisbon were kind of second city. Lenz ran. His breath came easy, and he could feel himself from scalp to sole. Green and green with red dumpsters lined both walls and made the going narrow. He vaulted two sitting figures in khaki sharing a can of sterno on the alley floor. (laughs) He glided through the foul air above them, untouched by it. The sounds behind him were his footfalls echo off dumpsters and fire escapes iron. His left hand ached nicely from holding both a bag's handle and his large print volume. A dumpster up ahead had been hitched to an EWD truck and just left to sit, probably quitting time. The Empire guys had an incredible union. (laughs) (laughs) In the recess of the hitch's bar, a small blue light flickered and died. This was a dozen dumpsters up ahead. Len slowed to a brisk walk. His top coat had slipped slightly off one of his shoulders, but he had no free hand to fix it and wasn't going to take time to put a bag down. His left hand felt cramped. It was somewhere vague between 22.24 and 22.26 hours. The alley was dark as a pocket. A tiny crash (laughs) off somewhere south down the network of alleys was actually poor Tony Krause rolling the steel waste barrel that tripped up Ruth Van Cleave. The tiny blue flame came on, hung still, flickered, moved, hung there, then went back out. Its glow was dark blue against the back of the huge EWD truck. Empire trucks were unstrippable. Hitches were valuable but locked down with a kryptonite device thing you needed welding stuff to cut through. From the recess of the hitch, there were small sounds. When the lighter lit again, Lens was almost on them, two boys on the hitch and two squatting down by the hitch facing them, four of them, a fire escape's pull ladder distended like a tongue and hanging just above them. None of the boys was over like 12. They used an M fizzy bottle instead of a pipe and the smell of burnt plastic hung mixed with the sick sweet smell of overcarbonated rock. The boys were all small and slight and either black or spick, greedily hunching over the flame. They looked ratty. Lens kept them in peripheral view as he strode briskly by, carrying his bags, spine straight and extruding dignified purpose. <laughs> the lighter went out. The boys on the hitch eyed Lens's bags. The squatting boys turned their heads to look. Lens kept them in peripheral view. None of them wore watches. One of them <laughs> wore a knit cap and watched steadily. He locked eyes with Lens's left eye, made a gun of his thin hand, pretended to draw a slow bead, like performing for the others. Lens walked by with urban dignity, like he both saw them and didn't. The smell was intense, but real local, of the rock and bottle. He had to veer out to miss the Empire truck side mirror on its steel strut. He heard them say things as the truck's grill fell behind, an unkind laughter, and then something called out in a minority agnate he didn't know. He heard the lighters flint. He thought to himself, he thought to himself, assholes. <laughs> he was looking for someplace empty and a bit more lit to go through the bags. And cleaner than this, one north-south alley here, which smelled of ripe waste and rotting skin. He would separate the bag's valuables from the non-valuables and transfer the valuables to a single bag. He would fence the non-negotiable valuables in Little Lisbon and refill the receptacle in his medical dictionary and buy some attractiver shoes. The alley was devroid of cats and rodents both. Devroid? Devroid. He did not (laughs) stop to reflect why. A rock or bit of brick 
courtesy of the junior crack jockeys back there, landed behind him and skittered past and rang out against something. And someone cried out aloud, a sexless figure lying back against a maybe duffel bag or pack against a dumpster, its hand moving furiously in its groin and its feet pointed out into the alley and turned out like a dead body's. Its shoes, two different shoes, its hair, (laughs) a clotted mass around its face looking up over at Lens, going past in the faint start of light from a broader alley's intersection ahead, chanting softly what Lens could hear as he stepped gingerly over the rot-smelling legs as pretty, pretty, pretty. Lens whispered to himself, Jesus, what a lot of fucked-up, ass-eating fucking losers. (laughs) And that's that's it. Great. Well, we're at um, 24 minutes. How long is the next seg? Um... A bit, but we can. It, it might be long enough that we should just get into it. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, um, Couple more pages. How are we doing on time? It's we're twenty four minutes. We do have to go to a Yankees game pretty soon. Let's do another like page or two. Okay. Plow, sure. plow through. Yes, we've been doing short segments recently. All right. New segment: Our cult burned money for fuel, <laughs> as in like currency. We used ones. The semi divine one advocated thrift. We'd bring them to him at the stove. There was one stove. We had to bring them to him on our knees with no part of our feet could touch the floor. He sat by the stove in our blankets and fed it ones. We got an extra slap if the currency was new. <laughs> As in like crisp and new, it was a cleansing. Somebody always played a drum. <laughs> our cult's divinely chosen leader drove a rolls in neutral. We pushed him wherever he was called to like be at. He never <laughs> turned it on, the rolls. I got all muscled up. <laughs> In summer, then, they made us slither on our bellies. We had to embrace our snake nature. It was a cleansing. As in, like, slithering? Serious slithering. They took wire and bound our arms and legs. At least your wire wasn't barbed. I finally felt too cleansed to stay. Meaning over pure. I can ID, totally. It was too much love somehow to take. I'm, like, feeling the identification all over. This is... Plus, I was up to three bags a day at the end. (laughs) And then our divinely chosen love squads made us chop wood with our teeth when it got cold, as in like sub-zero wintertime. Yours let you keep your teeth? Only the ones for gnawing. See? Sheesh. Just the ones for gnawing. (laughs) Remy Morath sat veiled and blanket-lapped in the much-crowded living room evening of this Ennett House drug and alcohol recovery house. Wow. The last Demi Maison on his portion of the list for this day. The hills of Upper Enfield, they were de l'enfer of difficulty, but the Demi Maison itself had a ramp. A person with authority was conducting interviews to fill some vacancies of recent time in this place's office, of which its locked door was visible from this setting. Morath and others were invited to sit in the living room with a cup of unpleasant coffee, urged to smoke if he liked. Everyone else was smoking. The living room smelled like an ashtray, and its ceiling was yellow like the fingers of long smokers. Also, the living room evening resembled an anthill, which had been stirred with a stick. It was too full of persons, all of them restless and loud. There were demi-maison patients viewing a cartridge of martial arts conflict, former patients and persons of the upper Enfield area cohabiting on the furniture, conversing. A damaged woman, also in a fauteuil de Roland like Morath, slumped unutile next to the cartridge's viewer, while a male person of advanced pallor mimed the kicks and thrusts of martial (laughs) arts at her motionless head, trying to force the woman to twitch or cry out. Also a man without hands and feet trying to negotiate the stairway. 
ah shit, who's that? Not Dooney. It's a, one of the other one of the other guys that we've seen before. It has no hands or no, feet. No hands and feet. Other persons, presumably addicted, waiting in the room to seek admittance to the recovery house. The room was loud and hot. Morath could hear a person who will seek admittance vomiting in the shrubberies just outside the window. <laughs> Morath's chair was locked down next to a divan's arm and directly before a window. The window, one could wish it was open more than a crack, he felt. Upon the dull-colored carpet, a tormented-appearing man scuttling like the crab, while two <laughs> hooligans in leather played a cruel game of jumping over him. Persons reading cartoon books and painting the nails of their extremities. A tall-haired woman brought her foot to her mouth to blow upon her toes. Another young girl seemed to remove her eye from her head and placed it in her mouth. No, others, no other in the room wore the veil of the entertainment performer's uh, organization, UHID. The smell of the USA cigarettes permeated his veil and made Morath's eyes water, and he thought of vomiting also. Two additional windows were open, but the room lacked all air. Sorry, I gotta have my coffee. During the time of his sitting, <laughs> several persons approached Morath, but they would say to him only the whispers, pet the dogs, or make sure and pet the dogs. This idiomatic expression was not in Morath's knowledge of USA idiom. Also, one person approached of a face whose skin seemed that it was rotting away from him in some way and asked him if he, Morath, was court-ordered. <laughs> Morath was one of few persons not smoking. He noted that none of the room's persons appeared to regard the cheesecloth veil he wore over his face as unusual or curious or to be questioned. The old sport coat he wore over a turtleneck sweater of Desjardins made Morath more formally dressed than other of the applicants for treatment. Two of the Ennett House Demi Maison current patients wore neckties, however. <laughs> Mar Marath kept pretending to sniff. He did not know why. He sat up next to a divan of false velour, at whose end beside him two women who had sought previous treatment of addiction in religious cults were meeting and speaking together of their unenjoyable existence when in cults. To, whom other, to whomever approached, Marath carefully recited the introductory lines he and M48 quickly had developed. Good night. I am addicted and deformed, seeking residential treatment for addiction, desperately. Pers <laughs> <laughs> Persons' responses to his introductory lines were difficult to interpret. One of the older two men in neckties who had approached, he had clapped a hand to his soft face's cheek and responded, How extraordinarily nice for you, in which Morath could detect sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> the two women of cult experience were inclined closely toward each other upon the divan. They touched each other's arms several times in a kind of excitement as they conversed. When they laughed in delight, they seemed to chew at the air. One's laughter involved also a snorting noise, a clatter and two shrieks, these came from one end of the dining room in the demi-maison floors plans, a large kitchen. The sounds were then followed by a roiling cloud of steam with repeated obscenities from unseen persons. A bald, large black man in a white cotton undershirts laughing because became coughing that would not cease. <laughs> the two patients in neckties and the girl whose eye could be removed spoke together intensively and also audibly at the end of one other divan. This is like the waiting room from the, for the afterlife yeah. in Beetlejuice. <laughs> But consider this quality of portability with respect to, say, a car. Is a car portable? With respect to a car, it's more as though I'm portable. <laughs> they're portable when they're on one of them semis where they got new cars stacked on with prices in the windows <laughs> like a good couple dozen on them semis that swing all the fuck all over I-93 and make you think the cars are going to start falling out all over the road when you're wanting to try to pass. 
The plump one who had been ironic toward Morath, he was nodding. Or say, too, with respect to a tow truck or wrecker, if you suffer a breakdown, one might be in a position to say that a deactivated car can be, quote, portable, but that with respect to a functional car, it is I who am portable. Oh, shit, I fucked up. I did the wrong voice. It's Jeffrey Day. Oh, okay. With respect to a functional car, it is I that am portable. (laughs) The girl's nod caused the particular eye to wheel queasily in the socket of it. I'll buy that, Day. If we're jot and tittling with all possible precision regarding portable, that is. (laughs) The other man continually rubbed at his shine of the shoes with a facial tissue, causing his necktie to touch the floor. These conversers formed this triad on an unevenly sloped divan of leather-colored plastic across the room, which was now more airless, yet from the roiling steam from the kitchen, infiltrating. Directly facing Morath, well, I'll finish this paragraph, uh, in a yellow chair against the wall by these conversers' divan, most directly across the living room from Morath, was an addicted man waiting for seeking treatment by admission. This one, he appeared to have several cigarettes burning at one time. He held a metal ashtray in his lap and jiggled the boot of his crossed leg with vigor. I don't think it's funnier than, me, than somebody so depressed or anxious they're smoking multiple cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. the one scene in Rushmore where Bill Murray's smoking two cigarettes. Yeah. That's the funniest shit in the world. <laughs> it gets me every time. <laughs> I don't think I've ever smoked two cigarettes at once. Well, you've never been depressed enough to need two cigarettes at once. Uh, point taken. Uh, for Marath, it was not difficult to ignore the fact that the addicted man was glaring at him. He noted it and did not understand because of what the man glared, but he was unconcerned. Morath was prepared to die violently at any time, which rendered him free <laughs> which rendered him free to choose among emotions. That's USA's true. That's, Jesus. USA's BSS's M Steeply had verified that USA's did not comprehend this or appreciate it. It was foreign to them. The veil allowed Morath the liberty of staring calmly back at the addicted man without the man's knowledge, which Morath found he enjoyed. He's he's getting (laughs) veil-pilled. Morath felt sick to his body from the smoky room's smoke. Morath had once, as a child with legs, bent himself over and overturned a decaying log in the forests of the Lac de Deux Montagnes region of his (laughs) four-limbed childhood before Le Culte du Prochain Train, which takes us to Endnote 304, which we have already read. That's the description of the train jumping The thing? description of the uh, train jumping game through the lens uh, of the Jim paper. Strzok plagiarizing his paper sure. for Potron Corps. Yes. And uh, if you, may, maybe in the end note, or maybe in the notes of this thing, I will I, not go reference. back and find which episode that is. I, I will. How about that? <laughs> okay. Good I luck. will. You only have 90 to choose from. I'm going to guess it's somewhere Ooh. in episode 10 to 20. 10 to 20. Yeah, it was referenced pretty early. I'll be able to find it. No problem. The pallor... (laughs) I can do it. The pallor of the things which had writhed and scuttled beneath the wet log was the pallor of this addicted man who wore a square of the facial hair between lower lip and chin and had also a needle run through the flesh of the top of an ear, which the needle, it glistened and did not glisten rapidly in succession as it vibrated with the jiggle of the jiggling boot. Morath gazed at him calmly through the veil while rehearsing his prepared lines within his head. The more idiomatic would be that the needle jiggled sympathetically with the jiggle of the boot, which was dull black and square-heeled, the motorcycle boot of persons who did not own motorcycles but wore the boots of those who did. <laughs> Good place to stop? Yeah, you want to wrap it there? I think that's around 30 minutes for, for it. Okay. Yep, 35. Okay, that's a normal, normal length for us. Great. Great. Uh, it's all coming together. It's all coming together. Marath is at 
fucking edit house drug and alcohol recovery they house. have recovered a version of the entertainment and uh and have begun weaponizing it begun what trying yeah trying to gauge it's uh they're doing science on it yeah well yeah that's the, the process of weaponizing yeah it. i was thinking of like if you had something like that what you what one would do to effectively leverage its potency mm. uh if one was inclined to evil and or terroristic activities yeah, I guess. I mean, so like the thing about the AFR is that they are so their their power is just their negative feeling toward yeah. the U.S. There's no reconciliation for them. They're, the only thing that they want to do is hurt the United States of America. Yeah, the I, it was, it's I guess. not entirely like clear how the the uh, other than just like revenge. Like, what is their political demand? The liberation of Quebec. Yes, but not but not through any kind of like reconciliation, only through pain. I think yes. that I think that's my understanding the of their motivation. Will, the pain will continue until Quebec like is the, independent. <laughs> like the FLQ, I think does terroristic things, but they want to inspire like political change yeah. that will then like verify them. And I feel like the actions of the AFR are like we don't need verification. They're not, they're we are less. Quebecois, and that we are notre pays or whatever the I fuck. I think that means. The, the I guess you would have to use it basically like an atomic bomb and just unleash it on a specific population and show how damaging it is and then make demands based on the, like if you do not uh, accede to our demands we will broadcast this in another major american city you uh, every every you have to do the dr evil hours. thing yeah. where you get on the video you get on the telepewter uh with all the or, uh, organized nations and say if you don't give me 1 billion gajillion dollars i will i will unleash this on an unwitting american population yes. These are my terms. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I yeah. I, I think that I think your assessment is valid. It would it would also be funny to try to specifically infiltrate higher office and deep. You know, in like that um that the show that was like Lone Survivor. Oh yeah. That was like the one guy that they keep away from the yeah, inauguration. Yeah, Sutherland is like the Department of Transport Transportation. What Secretary. if what if they played it at the played at the inauguration? R roll it at the Olympics. Uh. Um, yes. just think you have like mass uh, the the Oscars. <laughs> the Oscars, I, it, it, yeah. It it cuts to instead of that lady who reads the awful poems at the inauguration. It's uh Amanda Gorman, more like Amanda Bore, man. <laughs> Give me something entertaining. Uh, De uh <laughs> deadly entertaining. Uh, do we do we have an America's poet? A yeah, poet, a poet laureate? laureate. Yeah, that didn't give a time. Who's the current poet laureate? All I know is Billy Collins. Remember Billy Collins, Molly? Billy Collins's poems are in the subway. Uh, in the subway, I believe. Man, um, that's such a weird position to have, like pop poet, like the most popular poet of any given time. I think there I never should be a council his, of poets. His uh, his stuff never really did anything for me. I it was like, doesn't make you feel nothing. No, I was like, yeah, this is just bland enough to be popular. Ada Limon is the 24th po Poet Laureate Consultant in Poetry to the Library of Congress. I feel like, <laughs> it's, show up like this yep, is too that's much a of like a job. <laughs> like, I don't want it to be a job. I want it to how be an exalted you, intellectual like uh, position. How much do you get paid as the Poet Laureate? You, should, you shouldn't get it. There shouldn't be a job description <laughs> related do to Do you apply to it or do they find you? You must. That's the thing. Here, mm. Here's a secret to life. Rewards, laurels. Um, yes awards uh any kind of like recognition is the result of pr yes no one gets discovered doing their thing you have to put yourself out there. i'm just imagining if you're like a poet 
toiling away and I assume some like grad program somewhere. Where else do poets exist? Everywhere, man. Uh, and then like one day you come home and turn on in your shitty little apartment and like turn on the lights and there's a man in a, a black suit sitting on your couch being like, Mr. Anderson, an or- there is an organization that needs your help. <laughs> like recruits you into like this the, is a great idea for a novel chris yeah this, a, po- a poet like that basically goes into the matrix yeah or like uh, that gets recruited into some kind of gov- secret government society that where the do the sensitivity and the nature of the like high level agency work requires a master poet mm. <laughs> well someone who understands uh yeah. the, the poetics of you yes. know of the world you can have cold hard this why don't let's take this back to Marath in uh yeah. in the halfway f- house. You can know you can be willing to die a violent death at any time yes. and therefore be basically a free a free person even though you are a fundamentalist. You know what this fucking happens in is Watchmen, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, Ozymandias. If I remember my Watchmen cor- Watchmen <laughs> correctly, uh and I, I guess spoilers for Watchmen. Uh Noted. Which if Watchmen is actually good. Maybe you'd be enjoy, enjoy reading it one day. But but basically the idea is that the villain is the villain's villainous plan is to create a disaster scenario, mm-hmm. uh, big enough and and disastrous enough to capture the imagination of the entire world and bond it together, mm. uh, so that they don't destroy each other with nuclear weapons. Okay. An otherworldly invasion disaster. So it's yes. like okay. all of humanity is bonded together. Yeah, it's not segmented by any particular nation or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it it yeah. has to be everybody. Yes. Kinda... And to do that, he has like kidnapped and recruited a bunch of like artists to create, like artistically create and conceive of this otherworldly oh, invasion yeah. in a way that. Yeah, that works. I think that I works. I believe great. that happens in Watchmen. There's okay. at least a, a panel where there's like a. a Painter like paintings, painting horrors. Like, yeah, exactly. Horrors and being, they have being like, correct me mm, if make I'm it wrong. More, make it more horrible. <laughs> yeah, more alien. R- ramp up the horror by twenty uh, percent. Uh, th- I was thinking tentacles. <laughs> so anyway, we have we have Marath. He is a te- a technical interviewer. He is a, a highly trained terrorist, right? <laughs> a very prescient thing of being like the 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 radio boy willingly gave away everything he knew, but technical inter- interrogation was applied anyway, just for confirmation. Just, just to make just to make sure. But then Remy goes into what is essentially like an alien planet of consciousness, yeah. which is this halfway house. Yes. These are people he has not dealt with before. Yes. He thinks he knows what humanity is, and he thinks he, it, humanity basically, at least American humanity, deserves uh, lobotomization. Yeah. And then he sees these people who are literally freaks. A <laughs> woman ripping crab, her eye out of her head, putting it in her walking mouth. Crab walking on the floor as other men jump over him. <laughs> C- cigarettes that are literally making him sick. Like he thinks he can. <laughs> yeah. he, he's a strong dude, right? And he's still getting like literally overwhelmed by cigarettes <laughs> yes. in this fucking house. He is in an irony-free zone. He is in an irony-free oh, zone. Even though that person was ironic when they kind of made fun of him for saying like, "Please good, help good, me." Cool I'm Cool story, bro. Yeah. Like, oh, nice. Like, are you doing a bit? Uh, which he is doing a bit. He's faking it. He's yes. he's in a place where it, people who are either so desperate personally or so desperate legally that they have to go to a halfway house. Yeah. He is completely out of his depth. Yes. Anyway, that's why. The, yeah, to, when the people say come up or like pet the dog, bro. And he's like, he's I like, don't know I don't, what I, that I, means. I do not understand <laughs> this idiom. It's literally like pet. You, no, you literally, you pet literally the dog. have to pet the scabby dogs. Be nice to the dog so she'll let you in this house. 
Anyway, the, that just, you know, you can be as yeah. uh, technically trained as whatever, but well, you don't a, understand the the poetics of humanity. It's interesting because in his mind, his like, his like, my lack of fear of death gives me perfect clarity in into any subject. Uh, but yeah, have you but met a bunch the, of uh, drug addicts? Yeah, but on the <laughs> other side, the desperation of the of of the addict mm-hmm. uh, at the demi maison at the demi maison uh, is the it gives them in, in their own way perfect clarity. As in, yeah, it's like a reverse. It's like yeah. reverse fanaticism, right? Yes. Like you have you basically have to. He they have seen de- they have done. They have played the game of the next train. Mm. Every time you fucking shoot heroin, you're playing, playing like the Cold Dill the- uh-huh, Trap. So yes. he has finally met his match after all these times. <laughs> game set match. Yes. Now, now it's who who will win? Mar- Marath, the terrorist uh, genius? The terrorist ex- or, or, a bunch of, or a bunch of freaks talking about how they were in uh, cults that you yes. had to chop wood with your teeth. Mm-hmm. Cho- Having to chop wood with your teeth doesn't that sound like some kind of Quebecois, uh, yes. like uh, or he, like he's a, fake in a he's in a cult. He's yes. in a cult right now. Oh, he the, yeah. Well, I mean, any terrorist organization in its own way has got to be a cult to inspire that kind of fanaticism. It's perfect. The clo- again, the closing of the annular. You you think that these are two separate things, but they're the two sides of the same same coin. Quoi? Quoi? Um, anything else? Joel's teeth dream. We are we basically already talked about that. It's it's funny that uh, I, I don't know if this is part of the breast. Well, hey, th- that's a good that's a good little link there. Is starting this segment with the teeth dream and then ending it with the people being like, "I had to chew wood until my teeth fell yeah, out." Yeah, I guess yeah. Connecting <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what teeth are in, in dreams and in consciousness generally is like. Everyone has them, and uh, they're somehow like maybe it's like it's things that you like take for granted almost it's funny that yeah i guess it is funny how universal that feeling is of the loose tooth and it always feels so real in the dream and it it's does. so disconcerting that and then you wake t- up and you're like and you touch your tooth and you're like nope still sturdy yeah yeah it's very i think i think it it's maybe it is maybe teeth are your subconscious yeah, it's a, it's something that you don't think about until it starts to uh get fucked up and then you're like oh my god what did i do what like why yes what, is this my fault what how what what did i do to loosen these teeth um god i hope i don't have a tooth dream tonight <laughs> i had a eating bad pizza in london dream last night <laughs> Sounds fine. <laughs> uh, you should have seen this dream. Pizza. Did we ta- did we do, do this? Did I blow up your spot for this joke on the last episode that Molly, while we were traveling, was really making me laugh? Uh, it, making up types of pizza one might find uh, one oh, might did, find in Berlin. Did did we do that? I don't know. I, which was uh, uh celery and bechamel and ham. celery ham bechamel and then um uh je- jelly and scallion. It's just scallion and jelly. Scallion pizza. And jelly. Uh, yeah, we d- der scallion jelly pizza. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, pi- pizza pizza is one of those things. Is like it's like a blank canvas, right? Yes. And then some people respect the blank <laughs> canvas, and then some people really don't. But you know what? There are so many locked in pizza combos that. I do kind of appreciate that you do you get you got to go wild a little bit just to see if it works because who knows somebody might might figure out a new kind of pizza. You're right. Um, I did see on Twitter a few days ago someone posted a gorgeous looking pizza to me that was like pickles and like ranch. The pickle ranch pizza does look good. At least an herb cream sauce of some kind. And people were hating in the damn mentions, and I was like, don't even don't knock it till you try it. Ricotta pickle pizza. Pickle. I would definitely eat the pickle pizza. We had pickle pizza in Chicago, remember? Yes. It was it was delish. I just wish I were, were hungry at the time. 
anyway <laughs> isn't that always a thing oh so sometimes i'm like oh i wish i were just wish i were hungrier uh well we need to go to a Yankees game. Speaking uh, of I wish you were hungry, I got to open up the pit in my stomach to enjoy some Yankee Stadium foods. Uh, Molly, through her uh, Young Alumni Association, got a plum deal. Uh, the Young Alumni, that guy's wearing a Barilla hat. Barilla the pasta? Uh, yeah, watch it, watching Sick. this uh, tennis game. Nice. Uh, got a deal for the Young Alumni Association, got discounts to the Jim Beam Suite at Yankee Stadium. Yes. With... Uh, up, all you can eat are just tickets for uh, food and beer they up say, into the Yeah, inning. they say it's like an all-inclusive, everything but some kind of specific steak sandwich is included. <laughs> I'm going to get the steak sandwich. <laughs> it is worth it. Um, I, what I want to know is, does this ticket cover the specific innovation at Yankee Stadium, which is where you can get a bucket of chicken fingers that is mounted on a soda. That goes around the soda. So it's all of one piece, and you can then have another hand free to catch a baseball. To catch a baseball and or eat the chicken fingers while you sip your soda. Yeah. Truly, we live in the land of innovations. Yeah. The, I don't know why uh, Marath and co. are so upset yes. at America when you come up with cool shit like that. How can you ever support uh, communism when <laughs> capitalism breeds innovations like the the soda mounted chicken finger dipper cup. A a uh, um a soda mounted chicken chicken finger dipper cup for everyone on every Sunday. Yes. Um in, yes. The, best, in the best of all possible worlds. Uh all right. Should we sign off for oh. is there is there anything au else? Revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir until next time. A demain. Uh, uh I guess um call to Eddie call to action? I don't know. Say say hi to the pod. Call your call your mom. Call your mom. <laughs> Uh, all right. Goodbye. Bye.